The late Warren Wiersbe once said, once you start building, you'll soon be battling. Very wise statement. As you're coming through 2 Samuel, uh, chapters 8 through 10, you see David building uh, or expanding the kingdom. It's growing, it's expanding, and what we walk into in chapter 10 is what do we find? We find him battling what we're going to see this morning. And as we observe these battle scenes, there are some battle truths that I think are critical for us to observe, and not just observe, but for us to embrace. These are critical truths because if we are trusting God to build, then we're going to be battling ourselves at some point. So we pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 10. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, so again, this is after they have rejected his gesture of kindness and shamefully treated the servants that he sent to them, this is what they realize. The children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maka, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. So what's interesting about this is that this is what the children of Ammon saw. This is what they saw about themselves with respect to their response to the king's kindness. We're not told that David said this to them or that he said this about them. This was their perception of what they had done in terms of how they had responded to this kindness, and this is very important. The only way that they could have known this was because God revealed it to them. The only way that they could have known that they stank, or as it said in 1 Chronicles 19, that they were made odious before David was because God said so. God revealed it to them. So God revealed to them that their rejection of his kindness to the king was wrong. And just like the loss, they had a decision to make. It was either repent or they could harden their hearts even further. That, that's it. That's the choice that every lost person has. You can repent or you can harden your heart even more to God's kindness. They chose the latter by enlisting other nations that were enemies of the king, consisting of 33,000 mercenary soldiers to go to war against Israel. We saw in chapter eight that as David's kingdom expanded, the Syrians were a part of the very powerful Aramean kingdom. And they came to the aid of Hadezer, king of Zobah. Now, to not conflate those accounts of what we see there in chapter 8 and what we're looking at here in chapter 10, I do want to point out that we're told that in chapter 8, verse 5, that David slew 22,000 Syrians of Damascus, but here in chapter 10, verse 6, these were Syrians of Bethrahab and of Zobah in the amount of 20,000. So these are not the same accounts as many try to conflate them to be. But once again, we see a confederacy of nations that are coming together to go to war against the nation of Israel. And this is something that you see throughout the Word of God, and obviously we know what that points to prophetically. Because prophetically speaking, this points to the confederacy of nations that will be ruled by the Antichrist in the Great Tribulation seeking to do what? Destroy the nation of Israel to annihilate them, to wipe them off the face of the map. But this brings us to establish our first and very sober battle truth. And this is very sobering, at least it is for me. But listen, the loss deepen their lost state. They deepen it. The loss they deepen their lost state. This speaks to one of the reasons that it is so very hard to win adults to Christ in this country. This is one of the reasons. 
because the loss deepen their lost state. As people age in being lost, their heart toward God, their heart toward the gospel, their heart toward his word, it just gets harder. They just go deeper and they harden their hearts by the day against God, against the gospel, against his word, against his kindness. They deepen their lost state. Their reasons for why they reject those things get stronger. I mean, it's just, the reasons just keep coming as to why they can question the validity of the Bible, why the gospel was a fairy tale and all these different things. They just get harder and harder and harder in their rejections. And the biblical evidence for this is clear and consistent. Consider Exodus 9 and verse 33. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunders and hell ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants. Moses did what he said he would do, and the plagues came to a cease. But what was Pharaoh's response to that? Oh, great. I will humble myself, and I will let God's people go now. I see that he is the Lord of the earth. Was that his response? No, his response was he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Lost people deepen their lost state. Anytime you're dealing with Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart, the issue of Calvinism comes up. It, it, it's, it factors into the thought process of even the most casual Bible student, so I want to touch on that very, very quickly. But I believe what Moses said in verse 30 of this chapter makes the point completely and helps us to frame this properly. To prove to Pharaoh that the earth is the Lord, Moses would spread abroad his hands unto the Lord and cause the plagues to cease. But Moses also predicted how Pharaoh and his servants would respond to it. Look at verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. Although you're going to see this, although I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to prove to you that he is the Lord of the earth. You're still not going to submit. You're still not going to surrender. You're not going to yield. Despite proving that the earth was his, Pharaoh and his servants were not going to let God's people go. Didn't matter what God would have done or said. This is why when people go, well, if I could just see God, then I would believe. Stop lying. You would just come up with another reason to question and reject that. So here we go. God hardened Pharaoh's heart because he foreknew that Pharaoh was not going to soften his heart. That's the issue. God knew that Pharaoh was not going to soften his heart. This is exactly what Moses told him. I know, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do that, and Moses did do it, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to sin yet more. You're going to harden your heart. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So here was a man, demon-possessed, had lost both sight and speech, and Jesus healed him. 
I don't know. I, I think for me, that, that'd be enough for me to believe that, yeah, I think he is the son of David or he is the Messiah. I think he's, it's got to be him, which is why Jesus did the miracles that he did was to validate, to prove that he was who he said that he was, that he was the Messiah of Israel. Anyone could have claimed to have been him, but Jesus said, I'm going to prove to you that I am. But <laughs> not to the Pharisees. Oh, no. No, no, no. Even, I mean, there was nothing he could have done that would have softened their hearts. To them, Jesus did what he did by the power of Beelzebub, a name that was given to Satan. That's how he did that. I mean, it was right in front of them, miracle after miracle, demonstration after demonstration that he was who he said he was. Oh, no, that's by Beelzebub. The loss deepened their lost state. 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The evil men and seducers that are in view here are false teachers. They, they don't get better, they don't soften, they wax worse and worse. They deepen their lost state. This is what we're dealing with. Listen, by the time you encounter, by the time you engage this adult to have this gospel conversation, please understand you are working from a great spiritual deficit. You're talking by the time it gets to your kitchen table, by the time it gets to that conversation that you're having, you're staring into the soul of someone who 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 60, 70 years of just hardening their heart by the day. It's sobering. It really is. Now, this does not mean that people cannot be saved as they age. It doesn't mean that at all. Here's what it does mean. Evangelism calls for a praying people who are desperate for a hardened people. A praying people who are desperate for a hardened people. If 2 Samuel 9 and 10 does not move life fellowship to be a praying people for hardened people, it's time to seriously ask the question, does life fellowship need to exist? If we are indifferent, if we could care less, if we're not moved, if we're not grieved, if we're not desperate, if we're not burdened about this, do we even need to be here? Because if, if we're indifferent about those things, I can promise you God is grieving. Let me ask you a question. Um, just to show of hands, uh, you don't have to say anything, but I'll, I'll start with me. But, but have you ever had that situation where uh, you knew someone that you shared Christ with and, and, and you know, maybe more than once? and then you saw them again, or you came in contact with, with them again, maybe three, four years later, and you had another conversation with them to only find that not only are they still lost, but their heart is even harder than it was four years ago. Amen. Yeah. Where I'm thinking, oh man, it's good to see you again. Let's catch up, let's grab lunch, whatever. And then you, you realize that, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's even harder. <laughs> Man, that, that, that'll, uh, not long ago, I, I, I spent time with someone and um, just listening to them talk and, and hearing, because the Bible tells us, right, out of the abundance of this, this speaks, right? So when people speak, you, you are hearing their heart. And as I, I sat, I, 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 I 
there was a part of me that felt like I was at a funeral. Because I could hear, I could see the, the darkness, I, I, I could see the lostness, I could see the firmness that the devil has my heart. And I've only given it to him more since the last time you saw me. I mean, sitting face to face, you're, I mean, front line, this is battle. It'll move you to pray. Because <laughs> you realize that, Lord, I, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't change that. I, I can't. Only you, only you can shine your light into the darkness of this person's soul. Only you can bring this person to the point like you did with King Nebuchadnezzar, where he had to realize that, oh, wait a minute, you're God, not me. <laughs> only you can do that. Verse 7, and when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts of the mighty men. So in verse 2, David sent his servants to show kindness, but in verse 7, uh, he's not sending servants. He's sending soldiers for war. And doctrinally, this is a snapshot of the first and second comings of Christ. The first coming, he came, God sent him as a lamb. The second coming, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. Those are two different animals. But we've met Joab, but we're now introduced to the mighty men. And man, what a, what a study this is in your Bible. What a, what a snapshot I mean, of, of, of the believer who is going to finish well at the judgment seat of Christ. This is what you get in picture with these men. We're going to see them in greater detail in chapter 23, but, but these were men who came to David in 1 Samuel 22 when he was in the cave of Adullam, if you're familiar with that. These were men who were in distress, they were in debt, they were discontented. These were men who society had written off. When these men came to David, they were anything but mighty. They weren't. They were not polished. They were not a finished product. I, I wouldn't even say they were a work in progress, these men. But by the time you get to 2 Samuel chapter 10, when David needed to send the elite forces of Israel into battle, they were something. They were mighty men. They were not the same men who showed up in 1 Samuel 22. They were something else. They were mighty men now, and, and they were that because of David. He had trained them. He had discipled them. He had taught them how to fight. He had taught them how to be like him, a man of war. These men were killing machines. They were brave. They were courageous. They were the real deal because of David. And they were at the place where David could deploy them into serious battle to get serious things done for the kingdom. But here's our point. The Lord's disciples engage in the battle. They do. David sent them into battle. He did. He sent them into battle. It ought to be evident by now that evangelism is spiritual warfare at its finest. Should be evident. Anytime we share the gospel, you are engaging in the battle, the struggle over the souls of men. You are. It ought to be real to us that Satan desires the soul of the lost as much as God does. And we know how much God desires it. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, a soul means the world to God. And the devil says, me too. And when you and I are obedient and we engage in sharing the gospel, it's, it's war. 
There is a struggle, a real struggle for this soul. Now, it's vital to point out that verse 7 makes it clear that these men were sent by the king. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. These men, listen, were sent and they went. They were sent and they went. David took 400 men, made them mighty, and sent them into war. Jesus took 12 men and made them fishers of men, and what did he do? He sent them to men. See the picture? John 20, verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Just like David's men, Jesus' disciples were sent and they went. They were sent and they went. So here it is. A disciple in name only. This is what we refer to around here as a Dino. A disciple in name only is someone who was sent but never went. So this is someone who is fancying themselves as a disciple of Christ. They're identifying as such. And they might be saved. And because of that, they're called to come after him as a disciple indeed, a true disciple. And because of that, they've been sent. Uh, These are folks who can quote the Great Commission. They're very familiar with it. it. It doesn't sound strange to them. The problem is they're not obeying the very first word of it. Go. Go. You've been sent. You've been deployed. But someone who is a disciple in name only, they've been sent, but they never went. They never went. It should be sobering to think that someone can graduate from LFBI in this church. That someone could actually teach an LFBI course in this church. That someone could actually teach a Bible conference in this church. That someone in this church could actually write a Bible commentary. We're blessed that way around here. We have people who can write Bible commentaries, people who can write books and do wonderful things like that, but still be a Dino, a disciple in name only. Why? Because a disciple indeed is always going to go. They're going to go. They're going to fish. They're fishers of men. And, and why, why, why is it that, I don't know if you've made the connection. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And then, so this is the beginning. And then three and a half years later, you, you, you get the end, go. How many fishermen do we have in the room? Serta? Anybody else? Keith? Okay. Not a lot of fishermen. Okay, sorry. This young lady back here, fantastic. Okay. But we're all familiar with the concept of fishing, right? So let me ask you this. When someone goes fishing, what does that mean? That means they leave wherever they are and they go to where the fish are so they can fish. Not rocket science, is it? Like, if you're going to fish, you don't, like, take your pole, sit in your driveway and go, well, at some point, the fish in the nearest lake to me are going to realize that I want some fish, and they're just going to jump out of the lake, and they're going to make their way to my driveway, jump on this hook, and we're good. When that happens, let me know. Because I like fish. I really do. 
Disciples indeed are sent, and they go. They do. Okay, verse 8, and the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering end of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and Ishtab and Makkah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will, call, I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. So Joab here realizes that I've got the children of Ammon in front of me, and I've got their hired mercenaries behind me. So I'm in between. Since the Syrians were to the rear, they posed the greatest threat. So what did Joab do? He took the choice men of Israel, and he says, okay, we're going to go and fight with them, and I'm going to take Abishai, you go and deal with the children of Ammon. If at some point the battle gets too much for you, I'll come and help you. If it's the other way around, you'll come and you'll help me. Okay? So that seems to be who Joab chose to to go to battle with these Syrians with because they were the real deal. So he says, okay, I'm going to take the best of what we got to go and deal with these guys. Okay. Now, verse 12 is one of the rare pictures of Joab that you see that you go, yes. That's it right there. It's a rare picture. I, listen, I, Joab is, to me, he's a He's always been a fascinating study. I mean, he, he's the kind of man that you study in, in Scripture and you go, I mean, you talk about Joab was a man's man. Okay, you, you're talking about the poster child of masculinity and courage and bravery and strength. I mean, if you had to get into a foxhole and fight with somebody, you wanted Joab right next to you. I mean, Joab was a man. So there are things you look at and you go, yes, 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 and then, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was Joab. Like, I mean, it was like, it's like Peter, right? Like, there are episodes you look at Peter and you go, that's it, and then you go, that's not it. <laughs> Like, there are things about Joab that I really covet. And then there are things I read and I go, oh no. Lord, please help me not to become that. Not, not to follow Sam like that, please. God, protect me from me. <laughs> and we're going to see this clearly as we keep going through Second uh, Samuel. But, but look at what he did. He, he charged Abishai to be courageous and strong and let us play the men for our people. That is, be, be strong. Let's, let's be men. Like, this is a fight. This is a massive army. This is, it's, it's game on. And we got to go. So let's be who we need to be. This is a time to be strong. This is a time not to be afraid. Let's take it to them. I, I'm with you, man. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, that was Joab, right? It was good. But then he trusted the battle to the Lord, and the Lord do that which seemeth good. But, but here's our, our critical observation, and there's a lot we can say. I, I, I can kind of geek out on Joab, and, and Brandon and I have a lot of conversations about him because he's just a fascinating figure, but, but, but here's where we're going. The Lord's disciples, listen, battle together. They battle together. You see it here. You see Joab and you see Abishai. Uh, hey, we're in it together. If, if, if you need help, I've got you. If I need help, you've got me. 
It's us against them. Now here, hang with me. Please hang with me. It's not us against us. It's us against them. You catch that? The Lord's disciples do not war with one another. They war, they battle together. There's a big difference. There is a, that's a big difference. I, listen, I, you, you know by now I am, I am the icon of just being flesh. You, you know this, okay? I, I am nothing, and I, I get it, all right? Um, it has pleased the Lord to use me in the capacity that he does just because he can do that. He can take a guy like me who brought nothing to the table and somehow use him for his glory. Praise the Lord. But these guys will tell you, the guys that I am privileged to work very closely with, the guys who I would say these guys can finish my sentences, they know one of the biggest prerequisites for us to work together is we're going to do just that. We're going to work together. We're not going to war. We're not going to fight. We're not going to bicker. We're not going to argue and divide over trivial, carnal, prideful, immature stuff. We're just not going to do that. If you want to do that, hey man, I love you, praise the Lord, but I think the Lord is leading you to go minister somewhere else. But the last thing I am going to do with you is bicker and fight and divide over stuff that, you know what, a millisecond, not just into eternity, but a millisecond into tomorrow won't matter. Listen, I, I don't have a perfect marriage, but I do have a very good marriage. You know what we don't do? We don't war. We don't fight. Now, do we have disagreements? Yes. She's got problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> She's, the girl's got issues, man. You know? But I'm long-suffering, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm kind. <laughs> this is getting good, isn't it? <laughs> like, I, I, you know, like, and hey, it, it, it could be that, you know, you know, we're 21 years into this thing, and, you know, when you're 21 years in, the list of things that you really throw down about, it's, I'm not sure it's that long. <laughs> You know what? That's okay. You can put that couch wherever you want it. Even though it makes no sense to me. It's the worst decision I've ever seen in my life. Why in the world would you want to paint the wall that? But you know what? Hey, I just need a place to sit. Amen? <laughs> Joab Abishai, the mighty man, the choice man, the army as a whole, Man, they were on the battlefield together against the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. They were on the battlefield together. And not only that, but they also had a heart to work together. That's what we see in verse 11. It's not just that we're on the battlefield together. It's not just that we're doing the work of the ministry. It's, you know, that, it's that we're doing it. It's that we are together. You follow what I'm saying? I, I've, I've told these guys, listen, I, I care as much about what we get to do together as much as I care about what we get to do. In other words, the relationship with you means as much to me as what we're doing. 
It's not just, hey, here's our objective. Can you go do this? Can you teach that? Can you run this? Can you handle that? It's that, no, I, I really do care about what's going on in your life. I, I, I do. I, I, I want to know what's happening in your heart. I, I want to know when you're struggling. I want to know when you need help. I want to know when you're weak. I want to know when you're afraid. I, I care. You mean more to me than what you can do. You're, you're not a means to it. You're not a resource. You're my brother. My friend, I, I, I've had, and, and, and listen, there, there's nothing inappropriate about this, but we have intimate moments where it's heart to heart, it's soul to soul, it's, it's as much personal as it is business, the work of the ministry. But it's all the same. Because the reality is, is listen, sometimes the, is the battle not too strong for you sometimes? This is what we see in verse 11, right? Sometimes the battle is too strong for you. Which says, hey, I need help. Sometimes it's too strong for me. I need help. The MBT pastors, um, this week we were away. Uh, Mike and Mark, Mike Renault and Mark Schaefer joined us. Dan could not make it, which meant we had an even better time. No, I'm kidding. You tell Dan I said that. You could even send him this link and say, hey, at this mark, he said it right here. You tell Dan I said that. But you know what? For three days together, we did everything together. We were in the same house, so you got 11 guys. Like, doing everything together. We eat together, we talk, we play, we pray, we cry, we laugh, we strategize, we... You do, I mean, you name it. Like, it's just different, right? Like, Mike Renault and I shared a room. We always seem to share rooms on these retreats, but it, I, mean, I love Mike, but there's just nothing. Sharing a room with another dude after you've been married for 21 years is just like, man, this is, I man, I love you, bro, but man, you snore, you. Like, I don't think I snore. Do I snore? I do? Okay. <laughs> there goes that. <laughs> so, I thought it was good to know. Actually, what Sam told me was, Sam said, he goes, you, he goes, your snore is kind of like jazz. It's, it's rhythmic. So, Sam snores too. <laughs> Trust me, I know. But you, you know what, you, you know what, what the takeaway is every time? The takeaway every time is this. You ready? And here we go, men, because this is, this is vulnerable. But hey, this is biblical, right? Verse 11, I need those guys. I need them. And you know what? They need me. This idea that we've downloaded from the world, this idea of self-sufficiency, I got it. I don't need anybody. I can do this by myself. Hey, look, I'm sorry. I, I, show me the verse. No, you don't have it. Would you look around this room? You need the people in this room and they need you. That's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, Anytime, I mean it, anytime I have to leave, and this was no different, anytime I have to leave, Lori, it's like losing a body part. Like, gosh, man, this, like, just maybe this trip will get canceled. Just maybe. And it never does. You know, but I'm like, man, I just, I'm just sick. I am sick. I was, my brother, Scott, back here Tuesday night, man, he was, he had no idea how he was just a, a, an agent of comfort to me. I was just sick at the heart already. Because I got to get on a plane the next morning and be away from Lori. And I just... And he just, we talked and he comforted me, praise the Lord. But you know what? 
I need more than Lori Morgan. I need all those pastors and I need everybody in this room. And you all need me, I'm sorry. Can you hear this? One of the gross errors of fundamentalism was making preaching and ministry activity significant, but relationships insignificant. This was one of the gross errors of fundamentalism as we knew it. Listen, in that world, in that world, everybody is judged and graded by how much they know about the Bible and how active they are in ministry. Catastrophic approach. Catastrophic. That produced, listen, you ready? That produced a number of dead churches, that produced a number of dead marriages, that produced a number of dead children spiritually, that produced a number of dinos. Amen. Disciples in name only. And please hear me. Please hear me. If, if the essence and the fullness of life fellowship was, hey, come in, get your grub, find your seat, wait for the show to start, show is over, get up, slide out, and then rinse and repeat. If that happened on my watch, I would grieve the Lord if I let that happen. Why? Because we're more than that. We have to be. Listen, if I need you and you need me, you, you kind of, we kind of need to talk, right? Engage. Like, how many ladies hung out Friday night? I saw the picture. It looked great. That was a good time. My only problem is usually when you go to stuff like that, you bring leftovers home. I didn't see anything in the fridge. <laughs> Nothing. It's like, man, not looking out for me. So was that a good time? Right? How many brothers were at, was at the, uh, the headship thing we did a few weeks ago, right? I mean, we, man, we, we need these times. Hey, listen, like, um, it's, it's all of it. It's MBT. Hey, listen, like, like your... Like, life fellowship is not a substitute for main service. The life group is not a substitute for life fellowship. We, we need all of it. You guys tracking with me? We're, we're in this together. And so we got to be together. Mark 6, 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. Is it fair to say that if Jesus gave the 12 power over unclean spirits, that he was sending them into battle? Yes. But he wasn't sending them into battle by themselves, was he? He sent them in pairs of two. Absolutely, they were going to war. Hey, listen, it takes a real family to wage war and make disciples indeed. It takes a real family. A collection of strangers will never do this. We have to be a family. And when you are part of a family, you are all in on that family, aren't you? Man, my time is, I'm not doing a good job of managing time today. Like, it's, yeah. So, um, we got a little bit more to go. Um, let me just tell you, okay? In terms of, of my, my, uh, my heart with life fellowship over the years, I really believe that what we're walking through in 2 Samuel, from my vantage point, is the most significant thing we've ever done in Scripture. Just because of the focus matters of the heart. Man, this thing, has, has it not been dealing with us? Amen. I mean, I'm talking like, whoa, Lord. 
I get to bathe in it before it gets to you. Trust me, it's not always comfortable. But I, I just, but it, it, but the study is so critical, and so especially chapters nine and ten. Can I, can I be honest with you? And and it's it's just with the best. Man, it hurts when, when you're not here. And I get it. Like, just so you know, the way it works is if you're serving in a ministry, you should be doing that once a month. That's church-wide. It's not a Kenny thing. That's a Sam Miles, MBT pastors things once a month. But, and, and I don't want you to try to make your living. Well, I'll just get it online. Life fellowship is more than the preaching. I don't care who's preaching. It's more than the preaching. Don't allow yourself to, like, so one of the best things and one of the worst things that happened with COVID was a lot of people realized, oh, I can do this whole church thing online. Church was never designed to be done online. You, so you start DVR in church, right? And so you start treating it like one of your shows. So you got it playing, you, you know, you got it playing and then you know, somebody's preaching in life and you got your laptop out, you're paying your bills and feeding your kids snacks and it's, no, you don't want to do that. If I was, I need you, you need me, I, I want you here. Not sometime to lord over you, I just, I just think what we're going through is amazing. I don't want you to miss it. Yeah, okay, so, this is what we call, uh, so I've got to manipulate the message because I've got to finish this chapter. So let me, um, let me see how I do this. Because who's doing the wrap up? Gordon. Gordon. Oh, wow. Yeah, bro. Um, okay, so let me, let me give you this, these last few points. Okay, the Lord's disciples battle in faith. So let me, let me give you the, uh, the, the, the cliff notes here. So. Uh, the, the Syrians, they, they realized that, wait a minute, man, we, we were really in it for the money. <laughs> uh, once we realized what Joab brought uh, to, the, to the battlefield, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that, so we're out. And the children of Ammon, once they see the Syrians flee, they're like, well, we hired these dudes to <laughs> come fight with us and deal with Israel, and if they bounce, then we're going to bounce too. Now, let me just tell you, this is actually setting the stage for what we're going to step into in chapter 11 in terms of how that starts. Because at the end of the day, what you're going to see is that the, the Syrians, ultimately, they make peace with Israel, but not the children of Ammon, which is what started this whole thing. And so what's happening in, in chapter 11 at the start there is we're now coming back to deal with and finish off this issue with the children of Ammon. Okay, so just, that's just high level, all right? But what you see here is despite this massive army that was gathered and then they, they come back, they, they go and they regroup, they've been disgraced, they've, they've as we would say in the street, they, they, they got punked out, and now they're saying, we're going to come back and show Israel we, we got the goods. And, and then, of course, they're soundly defeated. So you see this great victory again. This is just... David, in, in chapter 10, so let me just tell, let me talk to the men for just a second, and I'll turn it over to Gordon here in just a minute. Brothers, there are four chapters in your Bible as a man you want to be very intimate with, and two of them are right here in front of you, 2 Samuel chapter 10, 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10, you've got David at the very top, at his peak. 1 Kings chapter 10, you've got Solomon at his peak. And in chapter 11 of both those books, both men faceplant. You want to study those chapters, brothers. We're going to be walking in the chapter 11. But I'm going to tell you, this, this victory uh, this, that, that you're seeing here, it was because of faith. Listen, making disciples indeed takes place on a spiritual battlefield. It, it, it does. 
It does. And, but now, let me just, because again, I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm, I'm over time. Let me tell you where this point comes from in terms of, of, of this battle uh, taking place or fighting in faith. Look at the end of verse 12 again. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. So guess what? It seemed good for the Lord to grant Israel the victory that he did in chapter 10. But that's why it wasn't, I mean, praise God for the mighty men and Joab and all of that. But ultimately, this was God's response to Joab's prayer of faith. This is how we do it. But it is taking place in the context of battle. Um, Yeah, let me give you one last point and then I'm done. Boy, this has been a rough landing, hasn't it? I'm sorry. I, I just did not manage the time well today. Happens, I guess. So, listen. Any believer, group, or church that places a low priority on private and corporate prayer will eventually face plant spiritually. When I came to MBT, when we came to MBT in 2010, it wasn't that I was against it, I just didn't fully understand it. But this Tuesday night thing that we do, like, should we just get together and just sing a few songs and do some teaching and preaching? That's what Baptist churches have always done, right? What's, what's this whole thing of, I mean, so we do this every week? Like we get, we break off into groups and we pray like every, like I've never seen anything like this before. Not that I was against it, I just, like, can we get a little bit more done if we do a little bit more of this? Praise the Lord, I've come full circle. Let me tell you why I gave you this last point. A low priority on private and corporate prayer says this to God. We got it. We got it.